everyone. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast was recorded and is made available to you by Whitley Penn LLP and WP Wealth LLP solely for informational purposes. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are general in nature and are not intended to be construed as the provision of financial or investment advice by Whitley Penn or WP Wealth. The information discussed in this podcast is accurate as of the day it was recorded, but may then become outdated over time. Please feel free to contact us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns in regard to the content presented. Thank you again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this episode. everyone. Welcome back to another episode of WP Talks. My name is Bree Miller. I'm an advisor in our WP Wealth Group, joined again by Tom Ryan, uh, Managing Director in the WP Wealth Group as well. Hey, Tom, how are you? Good, Bree. Thanks for having us. It's a good time to wrap up 2021 as we get ready to enter a new year. So look forward to doing this. Right. Well, I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. As we approach the new year, we thought it would be a great time for us to get back together to give an update on the state of the economy. Last time we met was late summer and, you know, we had a lot of discussions um, around a few large topics and themes we are experiencing as we moved out further from the economic shutdown and continue to navigate through a global pandemic. Um, Some of these topics included inflation, interest rates, new legislation, and really, you know, Uh, risk appetite of investors and some of the trends we were seeing in the marketplace in light of that. So really a lot of these topics remain very relevant and concerns we're discussing internally and as a group and with clients every day. So, you know, we thought we've we've got a bit more clarity on some of these items and so wanted to get us back together for an update. And with this information, Tom, get your opinion on where we're at where we're headed and what are some takeaways from um, from this with, you know, investors and how we're all trying to navigate it. So, you know, you can hardly turn on the news these days without headlines reporting some kind of current data point that's record breaking either on the positive or negative end. For instance, we know November CPI data came out and U.S. inflation rate is at 6.8%. It's the highest uh, seen in nearly 40 years. Uh, the PPI uh, data came out and uh, came in at 9.6% from, from year over year, which is the highest level going back to November of 2000, uh, of 2010. So clearly, you know, a real concern for persistent inflation. We did receive some positive data on unemployment. November's unemployment fell to 4.2%. Unemployment claims dropped by 43,000 to 184,000, which is the lowest level in 52 years. So more evidence that the U.S. job market is recovering from last year's uh, coronavirus recession, which is positive. Um, On the interest rate front, the 10-year Treasury yield is sitting at 1.494%. The Fed funds rate is currently still sitting at 0.25%, so still at all uh, all-time lows. And while the Fed did come out earlier this month with plans for adjusting interest rates, there's going to have to be some aggressive movement in order for us to realize a positive real rate of return. So, you know, what are your takeaways from some of these data points that I just shared, Tom? Yeah, and you know, the uh, 
really all that information is kind of all over the board. Uh, really, a lot of mixed messages. If you if you look at um, you know, some of the inflation numbers um, and and think about that in, in from a real return type standpoint, uh, you would think that things are going very robustly. But we also got some information that, you know, the projection for GDP growth next year is, is, is looking to slow. So, you know, the takeaway of all that is that we, we are living in a negative real uh, world, whether that's negative real returns or negative real wages, uh, even with those, those large uh, increases in um, wage growth and, and things like that, um, you know, the, the, the effect of inflation is taking a lot of those benefits away from consumers. Um, and it's going to be really interesting, um, you know, as we look uh, in a situation where there's 11 million job openings, uh, which, which kind of gives some indication of, of where the economy's at. Uh, but with all these real um, significant increases in cost, um, it's really going to be interesting as we go into 2022 and see how all this shakes out. Now, you, you made mention that, you know, uh, there's been some discussions from the Fed over the last week or so. And I know you're going to go into detail on that. But you, you would think that there's going to have to be some significant movement on monetary policy in order to curb some of these uh, outliers as far as CPI and PPI and those numbers that you've mentioned earlier. Right. Yep. Um, let's, let's pick apart some of those, uh, and dig into them a bit deeper. So let's start with inflation. So the fed has changed their tune when discussing inflation. It seems, you know, they are no longer using the word transitory when discussing current concerns and, and now think that inflation will persist beyond kind of some of these supply chain issues being straightened out. I mentioned, Earlier this month, Chairman Powell laid out the Fed's plan to start addressing rising inflation. They're, they've begun to taper some of the open market asset purchasing by $30 billion a month. What was $120 billion now being curbed by $30 billion a month to be completed in March of 2022. They're also projecting three rate hikes in 2022, uh, with timing dependent on reaching maximum employment standards, which hasn't been defi defined, but is kind of a, a moving benchmark that they're looking at. So from a long-term perspective, this is positive uh, to help solve for inflation. But in the short term, you know, we talked about earlier November CPI data showing U.S. inflation rate up 6.8% and then the uh, PPI at 9.6%. So how does this information translate into expected earnings for businesses and then in turn their stock prices? Yeah, yeah the, the two data points uh, that, uh, that you mentioned, I think, are really relevant as it, re as it relates to corporate earnings. I think the pressure will be on, you know, on... Uh, uh, or the out the outlook of this will be a squeeze in corporate profits, and for a couple reasons. One, you know, you made the point that the CPI or you know uh, the inflation rate that most uh, closely links to what consumers spend was up six point eight percent, and then correspondingly, the PPI, which is the cost that producers recognize, was up almost three full percent higher at nine point six percent. So that's it's indicative is that at least to this point, businesses have not been able to pass on uh, the rising cost that they're seeing in both labor and materials in order to produce goods and products 
to the consumer. And if, and if a business is not able to pass on their cost and maintain their level of profits, well, then the, the takeaway is the profits have to go down. Uh, we're, we're seeing, we're already seeing the, and you had mentioned the pressure that we're seeing in the employment market with a 4.2% unemployment rate, but still 11 million job openings. I think that just bears uh, further that we're going to see continued pressure on wages going up. And so I think, you know, corporations going into 22 are going to start feeling some pressure on profits if they're unable to continue to pass along the increasing costs that they're representing. And, and again, if they are, then we just have a, a heightened inflation problem that affects the economy at large. So while, while Chairman Powell has, has changed his tune in both defining the state of inflation as being more persistent and the Fed's willingness to begin you know, tapering down their bond buying programs and, and also begin raising interest rates, um, we'll see whether you know, what impact that has and whether it's gotten past their ability to control it. Um, you know, at the same time, we're seeing projections of slower GDP. And so, you know, we, we see that in a lot of different indicators. So if the economy is actually slowing, but costs are still accelerating, I think that's going to put a huge pressure on corporate profits, which obviously is the driver in, in stock prices over the long term. And so if, if corporate profits go down and we're sitting with fairly high P.E. ratios right now relative to the price of the stock market, I think that could be uh, a tough outcome for stock prices going forward. Mm-hmm. And, and another item that will affect uh, stock prices, company earnings, but, you know, in, in, in knowing that the Fed has signaled that they're looking to rise uh, interest rates over the next um, year, how does that translate into uh, earnings? We know that we know that a lot of growth was sustained through cheap borrowing, and and that that was positive for a lot of businesses and, and individuals over the last two years. But you know, if we see an increase in interest rates, how does that affect business earnings as well? Yeah. So if in fact you know the Fed is able to raise rates, and you know, there's a big question mark there because there's just so much debt that has been um, taken out in the last many years. And, and that's at all levels. That's on the, the individual side, the, the business side, state and local governments, uh, federal governments, and, and sovereign nations around the world. The level of debt is just astronomical. You know, a lot of that was used to, uh, to combat COVID and shut down the economies, but a lot of it was just shifting in, in policies and, and, and um, how people... Uh, 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 felt like they needed to operate in, in the environment. And, you know, when interest rates were essentially zero and the amount of credit was unlimited, a lot of business models were built on very cheap, uh, low cost, uh, of ca- cost of capital. And so if rates begin to move up, it's going to take a bigger proportion of available cash flows in order to service uh, those debts. Because most debt that's been issued in recent years is on some type of variable uh, nature that is tied to some in- index versus fixed rate financing. So as Chairman Powell is able to move the discount rate and the other other borrowing cost, um, the marketplace will adjust in, in all types of credit. And so again, it's just going to take a bigger share of available cash flows, available profits, 
on the on the private sector, you know, in the, in the business sector, and then on the government sector, it's going to take a bigger share of tax revenues, both on the state and local and federal level, which is going to put pressure on future growth. So it, it will have the effect of of being less stimulative, mm-hmm. taking more available resources for productive growth away, uh, and committing it to um, to servicing prior. Uh, prior uh, business activities, if you will, which that debt was used for. So I think, again, like like other profits, it's going to have an impact on profitability and the ability to grow and sustain a level of growth that we've been used to. And I think we'll have negative impact on stock prices as well. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the pressure for growth. Um, you know, one of the trends we're seeing, and, and we know interest rates are all-time low on the short term, but we're also starting to see a flattening of the yield curve as you move out in duration, which usually is a, is a sign of potential stagflation. Um, is, is that kind of how you see this relating to growth, um, anticipated growth going forward? Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we kind of talked about uh, kind of when you laid out some of the overriding data points right now, and I made the comment that significant uh, uh, mixed messaging uh, where all these factors are kind of put together. And I think, I think the yield curve is another one of those. So, you know, if you're, if you think, uh, if you look at data, like the unemployment rate at 4.2%, the number of job openings, which would give you an indication of a robustness of economic growth, you look at inflation that the consumer is strong and they're bidding up prices, but then you're looking at the yield curve where, you know, where money makes uh, ex- expresses their opinion on a daily basis as to the future. You know, those that are buying uh, longer dated maturities and fixed income are, are telling you they, they think the story is different. They think that things may not be as robust from an economics perspective and with supply chain and with the new variant that's adding more pressure to supply chain problems that we have already, I don't see the inflation easing, but in fact, if the economy is slowing, uh, as is indicated by the yield curve and prices continue to be elevated, then I think that's a perfect recipe for stagflation, which kind of what you alluded to. And I think that's really problematic for the marketplace, the economy, and for stock prices uh, specifically. And you mentioned the Fed's ability to, um, you know, be able to back out a little bit from their um, easy money policies and and start to help inflation and and the ability for the economic the economy to withstand that. Kind of on that note is is some of the spending packages that we've seen coming out of this administration and, and that kind of stimulus. You know, last time we met in June, we were waiting to hear on negotiations from the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, which we now know has passed. Uh, then discussions began regarding the next spending package and corresponding tax legislation that was looking to address more of a social, social focus. Um, we know there has been a great deal of debate about whether this is you know, needed, um, the impact it would have on inflation and, and ultimately national debt. With such tight margins in the Senate uh, to get this bill passed, we heard last week that the deal might have been killed by the announcement from Democratic Senator Joe Manchin that you know he cannot and will not vote to support this piece of legislation. Where do you think this bill goes from here? Uh, that's a great question. I know you know th- that's that's very true, and I think 
that was a big blow to uh, the Biden administration last week. They've been uh, so many news reports over the last many months about where they were with Manchin and and he uh, was influencing um, the recrafting of some of the provisions of the bill. And it would lead you to believe that there was progress made. So when he dropped that announcement a week or so ago, it really kind of did put the Democrats, the Democrats on on their heels on that. You know, the, what we've heard the week leading up to Christmas is that, you know, they're still working hard to try to craft some bits and pieces of that legislation that uh, could be put back together and maybe uh, garner his support. The problem you get with that is, you know, largely that bill was driven by a lot of uh, the left-leaning part of the party that is very progressive and is really looking to implement some some major fundamental shifts in the government's role in, in business and personal lives. And so you'd run the risk of setting them off if it becomes too watered down. So I think there's problems there. I think it's interesting um, as we, you know, maybe as we're running out of this cycle of big spending projects that really were initiated um, during 2020, even during the Trump administration and combating COVID. And then we saw a renewal of another, another spending bill soon after Biden took office and then passage of the infrastructure bill. You know, there's been so much liquidity that has, has made its way to the market, which I think largely uh, has a big, big influence on on the, the stock prices and the, and the growth in the market that we've seen as we become, as we maybe begin to run out of these programs. And let's just say, for example, that the Build Back Better plan really is, is uh, not going to make or going to make in any material way. Uh, then, you know, as the Fed is tightening, as rates begin moving up, according to the Fed statement, as the government's major spend programs begin to dwindle down, it's going to be interesting to see how the economy um, uh, is situated kind of on their own um, and whether some of the structural shifts that we've seen coming out of COVID and the workforce and wages and work from home. And, you know, you had this whole kind of movement of people that have chosen not to come back to the labor force, how all that impacts the ability for the economy and the market to grow. But I, I think as you move into 2022, as we move into a midterm election cycle, um, you're, you're going to really see how the American people are viewing. I mean, we, we see the poll numbers and you can, you can make you know, your own opinion as to whether the American people are supportive or not of some of these policies. But, you know, once you turn that corner and get get in the middle of an election cycle, a lot of these things that are, are hot and heavy in the media right now fall away because they're not necessarily popular and talking about tax uh, raises and things like that. So I think we're, we're closer to the point where the economy is going to be acting independently. And it's going to be very interesting to see whether some of these dynamics uh, start falling in the line and looking more traditional or whether we have this big disconnect that um, that we're seeing out there and, and stock prices continuing to elevate, even though we're not necessarily back to pre-COVID uh, levels of business activity right now. Right. This whole, um, you know, new normal that we hear about and, and really what does that look like from an economic standpoint going forward? Um, it, it's interesting, you, you know, we mentioned all this uncertainty and, you know, 
unknown moving into 2022 and inflection points with policy changes that you know will have a large impact on investors whether it's to curtail inflation or you know potential tax reform you know yet we continue to see a continued appetite for risk and you mentioned you know the market um, sitting at such elevated pricing right now despite a lot of disconnects um, what do you take from this uh, you know, a lot of um, the, a lot of the risk appetite that that aided in in driving the markets to the level right now certainly were encouraged by low interest rates and uh, maybe some of the stimulative programs that came out of Washington, both both from Treasury and from the Fed. Um, it it fueled a new class of investors that really weren't present uh, prior to COVID. Uh, the evolution of Robinhood, the meme stocks, um, uh, a new class of investors that's very tied in the social media, um, participated and benefited to a large degree of this run-up. What, what this investor class hasn't seen yet is a tough time in the market. It'll be, it'll be interesting if some of these economic dynamics start turning negative or more negative if you will, and it starts impacting stock prices, um, whether the uh, the appetite for risk is fleet, uh, fleeting and whether uh, some of these loose uh, or newcomers to investing flee the market and whether that compounds the, uh, the impact on stock prices. What we know is that over the history of the equity markets, uh, they don't have to seem rational at certain times, but at the end of the day, uh, they typically become rational. Uh, you just don't know when that's going to occur. So there's no doubt that there's still an appetite to take risk, that every time there's been a sell-off, it's been matched with, um, with an interest to buy on the dip, if you will. But we really haven't had a material market decline. And, and I, you know, there's, a, there's probably 100 reasons why you could, you could think that there should be one. Um, but there has not been at this point. So I find it very interesting to see how the cryptos and how the meme stocks and how this really isolated group of, of the large growth technology stocks that seem to be carrying the weight of the market uh, do with, with so many new novice investors into you know, putting money into them if we, if we get some type of event that creates a disruption in, in confidence. Uh, very interesting to see how they'll respond to that. But today, it's, it's, it still feels the same that, you know, every time there's an opportunity, new money is making its way into the market. That lasts until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's typically pretty painful. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, I'm going to ask you every advisor's favorite question. Um, if you had a crystal ball for 2022, what would you expect? Um, you know, and, 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 and I'll, 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 caveat this by saying my crystal ball isn't any better than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And somebody tells you theirs is, they're, they're telling you a story. You know, I got to believe that we have bought some future growth um, ahead of time with, with all this easy money and interest rates that, you know, I think the S&P today is up 26% year to date. You know, that just doesn't sound right. You know, 2020 was a pretty strong year in the indices as well. And, and we know just the turbulence that the economy went through in the last 18, 24 months due to COVID. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't mean it can't happen. And obviously it did. 
But, you know, if, if you're looking at a crystal ball, you would find it hard to believe that you're going to be able to replicate those levels of growth, given the headwinds that we have with statements by the Fed, problems that Washington may be having in, in instituting new government spending programs. And so I've, if I'm a betting person, I think we've probably accelerated some growth and growth probably is more muted. Um, you know, the inflation issue is going to create a problem for savers and, and consumers um, in that they're going to they're going to see their, you know, the safer, uh, the more senior uh, folks of the investment community that had more safe money set aside are going to continue to see erosion. Yet they're they're purchasing their cost of purchasing items is going to continue to grow up and or go up. So I think there's going to be pressure there. But I, I would I would bet that returns on equities are a little more muted. I think there's parts of the equity market that didn't uh, participate anywhere near the level that other parts of the market did uh, and parts of the world probably could do a little better. Uh, but those areas that have carried the lion's share of returns in the last couple of years probably would, you know, would struggle a bit to replicate those levels of growth. And then, you know, unless unless uh, PE um, uh, multiples expand materially, I would bet that they have a tougher time replicating the kind of returns that they've seen in the past uh, couple of years. Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I think that those are all very valid points. Um, always such great and thoughtful discussions. You always provide a lot of clarity, color and insight around some of these broader topics. It's interesting to think back on how this series of podcasts really kicked off and it was in the late spring, early summer of 2020. We came together with a lot of uncertainty and fear regarding the pandemic and our economy and really started the discussions of, you know, let's figure out how to navigate this together. Um, and we continued to get back with each other to provide timely updates as we evolved through the pandemic. And, you know, we've we've seen recovery and started to experience some of the effects of the fixes to the economic shutdown last spring. So it's really been a journey. And, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed putting together these episodes with you, Tom. I hope that all the listeners have enjoyed the series and found it useful. Um, and we look forward to continuing the discussions into the new year. With that, thank you everyone for listening. Please continue to look for our latest episodes wherever you find our podcasts. Give Whitley Penn and WP Wealth a follow on LinkedIn as well. Thanks again for listening and happy new year. Oh.